Sometimes I think our inability to get pregnant on our own is very much reflected in our inability to do a podcast efficiently. (laughs) Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. That's Sarah. And that's Kayla. And today we are talking about something with Australia and three-person IVF. (laughs) Yes. Three-person IVF. It's on the docket for today. What do you think? How does that even work? Well, we're about to tell you. Okay. Do you want to just do you want me to jump go first? Yeah. I find stories like this so fascinating. You know me. I'm like the weirder the better. So and this isn't, I mean, it's been around for a little while. Okay, let me get into it. I'm stalling because I can't find the article. <laughs> Give Uh-oh. me a minute. No, it's here somewhere. I have way too many tabs open. Okay. Oh. So I, you said this. It's it's in Australia. This headline is from a news source in Australia. I don't know. Uh, Scott Morrison, I think that's their person per you know their head person uh prime, prime minister? minister yeah scott morrison backs three-person ivf and announces a conscience vote so he is a supporter of reforming the legality to allow three-person baby ivf mm-hmm. and before you freak out and think why the heck would anyone do that well here's why so and this has actually been around three-person IVF has, uh, it's been allowed in the UK for some time. You know, they're always way ahead of the ball or way ahead of the game. What do you say? Way ahead of the game. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Those, Those Brits are always like five steps ahead of the rest of us when it comes to IVF. Um, so this is to replace this is to ensure that babies aren't born with mitochondrial disease oh because that's bad uh it's yeah it's really bad so he this article talks about this um doctors say that the mitochondrial disease is much more common than previously thought with around one in 200 people in australia this is all you know contained to to data from Australia with around one in 200 people carrying a mutation, making them vulnerable to some form of disease. So, and this says like at least 60 Australian babies are born each year that suffer from this life threatening form of mitochondrial disease. I don't know what it is, except that, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, except that I think it's really horribly painful, degenerative type disease. Yeah. I know Um, someone from the infertility community, like when we were doing it, that has a son who has it and it's um it's kind of a debated disease that people are like Mm. oh this isn't real this is yeah it's um it's kind of an i don't think it's no it's an invisible illness it's kind of like uh what's it called pots or it is. There's a lot of people who don't believe her that her son has this thing. Hmm. 
Well, the prime minister would disagree with her, <laughs> which he himself, I thought this was so sweet. I guess he also did IVF with his wife, but then, and it never worked out. And then they conceived spontaneously. Good for oh, them. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> hey. I'm all for it. Yeah. But I can still roll my eyes a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. No, they did IVF and it didn't work. That's pretty heartbreaking. You're right. You're so right. Shame on me. You're right. Um, okay. So anyway, this is how it works. I mean, I'm not a scientist, so this is my very rudimentary understanding. They take mother's and father's nuclear DNA, and then just like you would in a mm-hmm. normal IVF or a normal or uh, whatever spontaneous conception, then they replace mother's defective mitochondrial DNA with healthy mitochondrial dna from a donor egg so that's how you get dna from three people (laughs) okay pretty insane and complicated but that's basically it so uh you would have to know that you are a carrier for mitochondrial dna which is why fertility clinics do all this all that kind of testing and stuff as we all, as you all know, if you've seen a fertility specialist, they test for things like this. So if they knew you had this, then they could go, okay, we're going to do IVF, but we're going to use this donor egg and replace your, you know, defective mitochondrial DNA with healthy, and then your baby won't be born with this disease. How does that what do change their genetics? Because then they have DNA from three people. Right. <laughs> It's wild. I know, but the, I don't. Th- like, it doesn't change out, them as a. No, they, it no, doesn't no, change no. them as a. I mean, when they if they did an ancestry test, who mm-hmm. would it say they're related to? I think you would. It would be all three of your biological, the people who made you. Is this kind of like using a donor? A brain egg? fuck. <laughs> oh well yes that but is this kind of like using a donor egg and then putting your dna in it isn't that that's also in the pipeline uh-huh yes just that's the reverse exactly yeah so yeah. but that one that uh, that's so interesting See, to me, I could, under well, I don't care, do what you want to do, but I think some people are like, this is not, or, you know, like people have ethical concerns about it because, you know, it's that whole like playing God. And to me, it's just like, uh, you're just taking, if you think of, if you think of a human egg, there's just a little spot on it that's like, defective and you're just taking a it's like putting a like a you know sealer or something on it just like yeah kind of I mean I'm trying to dumb it down I know it's not like well it's much more complicated than that I'm just saying it's the mitochondria is the powerhouse of every cell in your body it's like it's your it's the cell's battery so you're just replacing the batteries that's a, maybe a better, yeah, it's like you're, 
you don't want to pass along a defective battery to the kids. So you're just taking out the, the one that you have that's no good and putting in a good battery. It's like if you have an Android phone that you can change the battery out. Like <laughs> regular people are like iPhones where you can't really change the battery out. Because uh-huh. if you open it up, you're going to void the warranty. And so... <laughs> This This analogy is going really far. (laughs) So this is like... I love it. ...an Android phone that has a replaceable battery that you would put a new battery in, but you would do it from the beginning. That is a perfect analogy, Sarah. Like, you would take the factory battery out before starting it and put your new, better battery in. So that the phone has a nice, healthy life. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There we go. I just think it's fascinating. What I, yeah, let us know what you think. Give us your opinions. I mean, I think the most pushback that they're getting about doing it is, you know, people with religious concerns. So, isn't that the usual know. though? Yeah. So, what's new? I would be curious if a doctor or you know someone who knows way more than we do would have a reason to say like, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> Here's some things we need to think about because I like, I would love to hear an opposing viewpoint that wasn't, well, God doesn't want us to, because I can't really work with that very well. Well, you can't, you know, say one way or the other, because how do you know? That's true. You know, how do you know what God thinks? Nobody knows what he or she or it thinks. (laughs) You don't know. Yeah, so let's come up with a different argument there. I mean, I could see there being, like, issues, like computing issues with the different Mm -hmm. genetics, maybe. But I don't know know how it works, so that's just talking out of my ass, and I could be completely wrong. I probably am wrong. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting nonetheless, and to me, it's like, I I think some people might say, why don't you just use a donor egg in the first place, right? Well, like, if you know you're a carrier, why don't you just use a donor egg? And I don't know. I guess I get that argument. But how is that different than how about I use parts of me that are still okay and I use yeah. the donor, good parts of the donor egg. Like, I don't see anything ethically weird about that. But Well, some well, people know. aren't okay with donor eggs. Some people want right. to do it and some people don't. So right, it's a personal right. choice. Right. It, uh, yeah. Life is a personal choice. I, I can see the allure, allure mm-hmm. of this. I like it. Yeah, I think I it's know- interesting. I do too. And I, th- I know that they're like, we've known people um, who have used donor material for conception. And like, there is some grief around that if you've, especially if you've been like going through treatment for a while and mm-hmm. you, you know, some people aren't attached to their own DNA. Like it needs to be from my egg or my sperm, like, and they don't, it doesn't really bother them one way or another. They just want to, they just want to be a parent. And then other people have this grief and feel loss when they're only given that option. Like you will never have a biologically your child. You can do donor material. This is kind of a, I don't know, in between something in between that might, 
I don't, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, at least do the research on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the people like doing it, they don't even right. know. Right. It is not happening in the U.S. though. So because no. <laughs> we're always a little behind, behind the eight ball. That's what I was trying to say earlier. The eight ball. Like, are we talking know. about like a magic eight ball or are we talking about like cocaine? Are we uh, a pool ball? Eight ball? Behind the eight ball? Oh, or the pool. Okay. <laughs> I don't the know. The eight ball, the, la- the one you yes, shoot it's the last. last. Yes, it's the game ender. The game ender. So if you're behind the eight ball. I don't know what that, <laughs> I don't know what that expression means. So you, you like jump in when the game's over? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's what it means. I have no idea. Tell me about Becca, Sarah. Oh, our next guest. It, well, actually, it's two guests. But I know one of the guests from our Facebook group. And she's one of the original members of the Facebook group. She's one of our first listeners that we talked to and she's really funny. And when she posts memes on Facebook, I laugh. Her name is Becca and her sister-in-law Kylie is with her and they both went through IVF because their husbands who are brothers both have um, male infertility on their sides. So Later on in the interview, we also learn something that blew my mind. (laughs) And I was like, why didn't you tell me this earlier? So that is what's coming up next. Welcome to the show, Becca. Hi. And Kylie. Hey. Becca and Kylie are sister-in-laws who both went through IVF treatments to get pregnant, and their husbands are brothers, and we're going to talk a little bit about their situations and the things that they've gone through to get to the points they are at in their IVF journey. I, I know we don't... The, the IVF journey word is a little bit weird to us on the show. I'm just like hear Kayla right now doing the journey thing. Journey. Your situations are a bit different because kind of knew going into it that you would probably have fertility issues, right? Yeah. My, uh, my husband was actually married before and they did try a little bit for a while. Uh, my husband had the varicocele vein operation and all that so we I mean we kind of already knew I didn't really know the severity of it until a little bit later but we already kind of knew it was going to be an issue from the get-go we got married in 2012 and we went to a fertility clinic less than a year after that because I just I mean we already kind of knew they told us like try for a year and then come back but I think we tried for like eight months or something and I'm like well let's let's just go so we went you know got the uh the sperm analysis and I mean I think they found I don't know my husband says this I don't know if he's really exaggerating when he says that they said they he said they found like 10 mobile sperm in his 
uh, analysis, not like 10 million, not like, he, he just said 10. That's crazy. So, and I, I, for the life of me, can't remember. And I actually got the medical records from our fertility clinic and I'm too stupid to figure out how to read them. And I know <laughs> I didn't really like do any of the research to try and figure that out. But, um, but anyway, long story short, they gave, told him that he has, you know, severe male, male factor infertility. So they put him on clomiphene or I guess what would be clomid for men to try and, you know, get his count up, his mobility, all that stuff up. And he was supposed to go back. Um, I think it was a combination of things. He was supposed to go see a uh, a doctor for a potential pituitary gland imbalance, which they thought might have been causing his issues. And they put him on clomiphene for three months. But in that period of time, I just don't think we were ready. I don't know if it was a combination of being young, but when he ran out, he, he ran out of the pills when he was out of town for work. And then shortly after ended up getting just laid off from his job, like just temporarily because he's a construction worker. Um, so we just like kind of put a big hiatus on it. And by big, I mean like five years or six years, I guess. It's quite a long time. Back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we went back, we went back in October of 2017, did another analysis, of course, you know, another, you know, just horrible analysis. They put him back on the pills, trying to get him to like get his count up to see if they would be able to get it up enough for IVF. Started that October, right about the three month mark. I went to the ER for abdominal pain. We thought it was appendicitis or something along the lines of that. And I think the like the nurses and everybody were kind of suspecting it as well because I had a low grade fever. My white blood cell count was up. Um, so they took me in for a CT scan and found this, you know, lovely, I don't even remember how big fibroid. So then I kind of felt like that was a setback, but we went a few months later, got it removed by my actual fertility doctor. But I got pretty lucky with that as well because my um, fibroid was on the outside of my uterus. So when they did the myomectomy, they didn't actually have to cut into my uterus at all. And then three months later, we're, we were able to pursue IVF. I think I worked, I worked myself up a lot of it. And I mean, it's definitely a hard thing, but I don't think I was pleasantly surprised with like things like the injections and stuff like that. I was so afraid because I'm just, I'm a needle phobe, like not so much anymore. I've gotten way better over the years because of this probably, (laughs) but the shots and I ended up giving myself all of my own shots, even my progesterone shots, except for one. My husband gave me my very first progesterone shot, but the IVF process went pretty well for us. We had seven eggs retrieved, five of which were mature, three fertilized, and I ended up transferring two of them, which I don't know. I always kind of wonder if I made the right decision when I did that, but you know, everybody says it doesn't really increase your chances all that much with transferring two, but I kind of had it in my head. I'm like, well, I want the best shot. Like, I'm going to transfer both of them. And I I wonder sometimes, you know, because only one did stick, which I'm always forever grateful, but I just always kind of have that other one in the back of my head. Like, did, you know, my one sticking interfere with the other one somehow? Like, you know, it's just all these variables that you're running your head forever and ever. And then I did find out that the third uh, 
fertilized egg had to be discarded, which we kind of we kind of were already suspecting that they told us it was in pretty bad shape, but then that next day they called me and told me that it was discarded. So I literally just put all of my eggs in one basket, I felt <laughs> like, and tra- transferred the two, like literally all my eggs in one basket and then transferred the two and then found out about five days later uh, that it worked. So let's hear from Kylie. Your situation was a bit different because you didn't know for sure if your husband would have fertility issues, right? Um, Correct. He thought maybe he would because it kind of seemed to run in the family, but he had never tried with anyone or had any testing done or anything like that before we got together. So what was the process for you to come to doing IVF? So ours kind of started out, um, we, we didn't know. So we wanted to, after we got married, we wanted to try, um, naturally for a while and see if that worked. Um, we tried for about a year before we went to the fertility clinic. Uh, nothing happened in that year. So we went and his sperm analysis, that was the first thing they did because we went to the same fertility clinic as Chad and Becca. Um, and they, so they kind of knew, okay, his brother has issues. His father had issues. Um, we're going to kind of start with him. They asked me, I really hadn't ever had any issues. I had regular periods, nothing painful. I mean, I, that I knew of, I didn't have any issues. So they started with him and did a sperm analysis. Um, his came back his count was actually like 16 million, which is considered in the normal range, but it's literally the lowest number in the normal range. So they thought, why don't we try um, IUI and do insemination? So we went ahead with the insemination um, probably like the following month because I wanted to do it as soon as possible. And the sperm analysis that they had done, that was just a total count. When we actually did the wash for the insemination, they actually canceled it because he only had 500 out of like the the 15 million that they got. He only had 500 that they thought were even viable. Even for insemination, like they're, it's kind of pointless because we had to pay for it out of pocket and everything. So we canceled it. And um, had a follow-up. He talked about um, him possibly having like a varicel. Um, so we went to a urologist and the urologist said that he thought he um, had one and wanted to do a, the varicelectomy. So he ended up having that surgery in February. This all started in like July. The following February, he had um the surgery so he healed up from that we went back um he took a bunch of vitamins and things that they recommended um and his count did go up so and then dr cooper was actually really um surprised his count went up post wash from that 500 to like 8 million he hadn't seen that big of a jump for, just from having that surgery. 
So he thought everything went really well and that we would, our chances for insemination were great. He didn't think we were going to have to do IVF at all. Well, in the meantime of me having, or of him having the surgery while he was healing from that, I went and had testing done. I had my, like the labs and um, an HSG and all of my stuff came back normal. He said that there was no issues. Um, my labs were good. Um, he didn't see any issues. So he wanted to move forward with the insemination. So we ended up moving forward with the ins- insemination. We did, I think, three or four. None of them worked. I did not, there was not one pregnancy that came out of any of them, not even a chemical or anything like that. The doctor didn't understand why. He was convinced insemination was the way for us. So he wanted to do three more because he said six is like, if you do six and it doesn't work, you're kind of maxed out. But if you, you know, he's like, every time you do it, your chances go up. It's kind of the way he explained it. So we were like, okay, well, you know, we'll keep doing it. And we basically were going like back to back every month. By the end of it, I think we ended up doing seven or eight inseminations just because we were waiting for appointments and you could just go every month, you know, if um, once you were ovulating. And that was another issue. I didn't think I had any issues with ovulating. I mean, my tests were coming up positive every month. So did they do ultrasounds on you at the same time as these ovulation tests? No, they never did an ultrasound and asked them about that because that was one thing that people had been saying was they should be doing one to see if you have ovulated and they never did. I asked them about it and they thought there was no reason or no need to. Those, all the inseminations didn't work. He finally was like, okay, we can move on to IBS. And I was like, yes, please. Got everything ready for that. We started the process. I didn't have any like bad reactions or anything, but by the time I went in for my like second or third ultrasound, I think my third ultrasound during the stimulation process, they told me that I wasn't like my right ovary wasn't responding at all to the stimulation meds. My left was, but my right wasn't, but my left only had like three or four follicles, I think on it but measuring all completely different. So we ended up having to cancel the IVF cycle due to my non-response and we converted it into another insemination because he thought with at least having two or three follicles that might've been ready that an insemination would work because he's been, he had been convinced they would work the whole time. Mm -hmm. Well, we did the insemination, didn't work. Um, I did the trigger shot um, before the night or, you know, 24 hours before or whatever. Um, And it didn't work. So that was in January 2020. And then COVID hit (laughs) and everything shut down. So basically we had to wait for things to open back up. Um, It was kind of the end of summer. So we're like, as soon as, you know, summer's over, we'll get back into it. So we went back and started again in October. The only thing he did differently with my protocol was he added Lupron. Um, I started the Lupron like two or three days before and then continued it with those medications. I responded pretty well. Both sides actually worked. I ended up having, I want to say like eight or nine follicles, which isn't a whole lot, but 
better than what I had before. I think I stemmed for like 10 days. And then when I did the egg retrieval, we got, we only ended up with five eggs. Only three of them were mature and only two of them fertilized. That five-day wait was the longest wait. When I heard that only two fertilized, I thought for sure we were, it was over. But the five days came and they said those two um, could be transferred. They didn't think that they, either one would make it to freeze. So they actually suggested that we transferred both of them. So we did, and then I couldn't wait and peed on a stick like five days later, and it showed up positive. And then I went in and found out that they both ended up sticking. So now I am 20 weeks pregnant with two twin girls. That makes me so happy Mm -hmm. to hear. And I'm sure your story will give a lot of people hope because I've seen that happen so many times. Like they only have two or three fertilize. And I I mean, I've seen twins happen from that type of situation multiple times. Even if that happens, there's still hope. Right. Do your husbands talk about this stuff or are they? I think um, when my my husband looked at me, he was like, oh, great. My wife and my sister-in-law are going to talk about me and my brother's junk sperm is the first thing he said before I went upstairs. Were you like, and your father's? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So do your in laws know like about everything? Oh yeah. Are the mother in law like... is very involved. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry. That's also kind of nice that they understand and you're not having to explain oh. infertility stuff to them. I do kind of wonder how bad uh the father's side of infertility is sometimes because I mean between Chad and Ethan and well there's there's four children that the father has fathered Mm -hmm. so it kind of makes me wonder like just how bad his infertility really is I don't know yeah like Chad was conceived with Clomid right yeah Chad was conceived with Clomid and then Ethan and Evan were gift procedure right Really? Yeah, and then Catherine, yeah, they were done with the gift procedure. So they were twins. They were actually supposed to be triplets, but one didn't, one, you know, vanished in the womb. Uh, Ethan says that Evan ate him, but. Uh, I have a story for that, but we might talk about that on another episode. And But then Catherine, their littlest brother, was conceived with a different woman, but she he was conceived naturally, as far as we know. Hmm. Yeah. As far as we know. As far as you know. That's crazy that they did the gift procedure. Because. Yeah. That's uncommon. It was. I, I remember, like, right before we started doing IVF, like, I remember our mother-in-law being like, are they going to do the gift procedure? And I kind of looked at her. I'm like, What? <laughs> what does that i'm I'm googling it right now (laughs) because i'm not even oh so the difference is between ivf and the gift procedure is the gift they actually just like take the sperm and eggs and they like put them together surgically into the fallopian tube so it's not like embryos it's like they they throw them together and they hope they they work so instead of like a petri dish they just They use the fallopian tube as that dish to hope that they, you know, 
boogie with each other. Yeah, it's just it's crazy to me. I don't know. But you still do like the stimulation meds because they want to get more eggs, and so it's 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 similar, but it's not. <laughs> Ooh, so it says that. Okay, so they put the eggs and the sperm in a catheter, like in a tube, and then they put them back in the fallopian tubes with a laparoscopy, which sounds brutal. I'm really glad that you agreed to talk to me to come on the show. Thanks for having us. That was a great conversation. Thank you, Becca and Kylie. That was... That was um, very interesting. It's always fun to hear from some of the OGs, too. Thanks for being such a loyal podcast listener. Yeah, and thanks for coming on, both of you. Yes. And that is crazy that they did GIF. I'm with you. Yeah. Or <laughs> I look at it, and I'm like, is it GIF or GIF? <laughs> Except we're not talking about internet memes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, what? I've, I've never, never met anyone that, you know, had been through, has been through that. I, I remember my doctor telling me about it when I first sat down with her, like, here's some options you can do. And her saying like, nobody really does this anymore, which I assume when her, when their husbands were born, that would have been back in the, what, 80s, 90s? The 80s, I think. All right. Up next, we have Out of the Box. Out of the Box. Out of the Box. Out of the box. Let's talk about your skincare. Okay. I'm, once we get off here, I'm going to go get a facial. (gasps) I'm so jealous. And it's, I can't remember what it is. It's a micro peel. peel. Mm -hmm. So I like facials that cause pain. (laughs) So I'm pretty excited. (laughs) That's how I feel about my massages. I need them to be painful. Ooh, that too. Have you ever had a laser treatment? No, but I am thinking about it. I had one in the fall. On your your face? On my face. Right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, For uh, sun damage, like pigmentation, Mm. the darker pigmentation. And I I think that it helped... But I only did one treatment, so you can't really go off just one treatment. And I was right. going to go back and do a treatment for rosacea, because I guess I have rosacea. Um, oh. Actually, last night, I asked Peter, my husband, if I was sunburnt. He's like, no, it's like your usual splotchiness. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, honey. I was like, really? He's like, no, like you're red all the time. I'm like... Really? <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> He's like, but it's it's fine. It's not bad. Like, you should probably <laughs> he just, just He just stop. walked himself right into the corner, didn't he? <laughs> you should Your just normal splotchiness. Not talk about yeah. that. But yeah, right. it, I think it helped. Um, it's less painful the lighter your skin is. So it didn't really, oh, really hurt that. Yeah. So if you have hmm. dark skin, your a laser is going to be painful for you. I wonder why. Um, it targets the dark. The oh the, uh, yeah, melanin. Oh my gosh. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's what it's 
trying to, I guess, even out. Mm-hmm. It depends on their settings, but they said darks, the darker your skin, the more painful and like the lower your laser settings should oh, probably okay. be at first. Wow. But yeah, so I so tried to call that place to get another laser treatment and they're like, I think they have an answering service, but they're like, okay, leave your number and we'll call you back. And then they called me back and then they just sent me to an answering machine. <laughs> like, mm. what the heck? So now I'm going to a different spa and <laughs> just doing a facial. Anyway. A peel, a chemical peel or something. Yes. I No, I'm super interested in that because I have, I mean, I'm you know, I have like tons of freckles. And as I'm getting older, they're even morphing into like, Ooh, the you know, sunspots? Like, yeah, like patches in certain spots. You should do so it. So that's been on, yeah, it's been on my list of between that and the Botox and <laughs> yeah, I no, I, I, it's IPL, it's um something uh-huh. photo laser, laser intense <laughs> photo laser. I don't know, but it was like two hundred and fifty dollars. If you're wondering how much, okay, it is. so pretty For me, pricey. Probably yeah, a little bit right. more in Chicago. Probably, maybe. Yeah. But I so I I want to I put on Instagram a few weeks ago I was like maybe you saw my maybe you even commented I don't remember I got a lot of responses about I said something like I am almost 40 I have no skincare routine like I still use the same moisturizer that I used when I was 16 Cetaphil which is a very good moisturizer by the way. Still, like, tons of dermatologists still, like, are recommended or whatever. But I was asking for advice on, like, stuff you can get over the counter for, like, skin pigmentation and wrinkles. And so I got all of these suggestions and then had myself a time at Ulta and oh. got a few products to try. But Have you tried them? Like, the higher, higher, here's, Hyd- see, okay, hyaluronic acid, high higher i can't say Hyla- it. i think it's hydro right <laughs> hydroluronic acid i don't know some kind of acid there's retinols there's peptides there's all these things and i'm like what is this so those are called actives uh-huh i think so you have to be careful with using a bunch of different ones at the same time oh but see i didn't know that they work better together i don't know it just when I say, when I joke that I think I have ADHD too, it's stuff like on this topic, if I walk into a beauty supply store like Ulta or Sephora or Blue Mercury or something like that, I get so overwhelmed. I what? just buy too much. I've never heard of Blue Mercury. <laughs> oh, it's just, an, maybe it's like local up here, but... I just, I'm just like, where do I start? There's so many products. And then I just, so I did, I got a few suggestions. Things. Yeah, I know. But then you run out of money. <laughs> it's not good either. True. I have a, a few people suggested like some good dermatologists on Instagram who like mm. are constantly talking about like, here's what you should use if you have this kind of skin and here's, this is for sun and this is for, we you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's like a place to start. <laughs> For me. Sorry. And there's only like a billion YouTube videos about it too, you know. Going to, like just 
go into and Google. every influencer sells a skincare product. Yeah, here's what you need to do. So you have your okay. skin concern. Go into yes. Google, type it in, mm-hmm. and then type mm-hmm. Reddit after it, and it and okay. you'll probably find some information. Because for some okay. reason, Google, it seems like Google, I could be wrong, has blacklisted forums. Hmm. Like pregnancy so stuff, can... you can't find it. Oh, really? Or oh. infertility stuff, you can't find the forums anymore. Really? Mm-mm. I wonder, I told you they were like the Wild West. I told you Google shut it down. They did. Like, you cannot find baby center forums. Wow. I didn't know that they were gone. Or maybe Google just did that to me. Maybe we need to talk about this in an upcoming episode. This is big news. Yeah. It's news to me. So if I Google how to fix my droopy eyelid, Reddit. Well, that would probably be a surgery. (laughs) Oh, your your droopy eyelid or your droopy eyebrow? well, I mean, it's both. Like, this eye. Just this, the the hood on this eye is, like, more down like this than it is on this eye. Can you, you see it? You could have a surgery to fix yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't care if, that much. I'm not doing surgery. If it gets bad enough, Medicare will pay for it, you know, if you're older and have Medicare. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> There's that. Uh, well, I hope you have fun at your facial. I hope it's like relaxing. Thank you. You come out super like red and sticky, isn't that? That's what she said. Ew, gross. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Okay. So I guess that's it. Follow us on oh, Facebook yeah. at the yeah. Infernal Mafia, and then uh, we have a linked Facebook page called Infernal Mafia Bosses and Babies. Follow us on and... Instagram. Which is Infro Mafia podcast? Podcast, yes. We have a TikTok. And I put like one video on there. It's Infro Mafia, and then Infro Mafia at gmail.com. Yes. If you if you want to come at us, if you have an opinion, a hot take from anything we talk about, we would love to hear from you. Okay. <laughs> oh, well. don't forget to subscribe, especially if you're new here. Yeah. Subscribe, rate, review. The, those five nice star reviews. reviews are really great our exposure we love it we love to see it but anyway that's it thanks for listening anyway thanks for joining the the infertile mafia Mafia. bye Uh, goodbye